what I covered a lot in the book was basics about um, what kind of property you need for a horse. You know, okay. how to like uh, developing a paddock in a uh, in a barn. You know, the the bedding that you used in a stall. How big a stall should be. Um, your daily activity you should do. How much time you should spend with the horse. You know, um, yeah. when you when you work with the horse's feet. Um, you know how important it is to work with the horse's feet. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject animals. Well, today I'm interviewing a fellow who's in the horse racing world. Miles Henry is a racehorse owner, but he actually started out with quarter horses and has ventured into different disciplines with horses, even wrote a book about horses to help folks understand uh, more about the basics of caring for horses, what's involved in that, and then he also has a website, Horse Racing Sense. So again, it, it, if you're a novice and interested in the horse racing world, it's a great way to, uh, to learn a bit more about it. And also by listening to this interview with Miles Henry. Hello, Miles. Welcome to the podcast. Well, hello. How are you doing? So let's tell, uh, maybe start out by telling folks what it is you do right now, what kind of work you're in. Okay, well, I'm a racehorse owner, and I also I run a web- website about horses in general and horse racing. So as an owner, I'm a horsewoman, as I mentioned to you. Um, I, I've been in the uh, performing horses world, and which means I don't show or know anything about racing or any of that world we do exhibitions and performances um with with our horses so i'm i'm a real novice to the horse racing world you know we hear a lot about it pros and cons both but why don't you tell me a little bit about i'm i'm more curious what's involved like how you find your horses how you figure out which horses may have the potential is it always about the breeding and that kind of thing so maybe let's start there Okay, that sounds good. I live in uh, Louisiana, and it, the area I live in is pretty big into the horses in general. We have locally draft horses. We have a lot of quarter horses and uh, people who are into the racehorse business, a thoroughbred business as well. And uh, we have a community track uh, in Folsom, Louisiana, and uh, so that we can use and train our horses. And most of the people uh, race their horses locally that would be at the fairgrounds racetrack in new orleans or uh evangeline downs in lafayette or uh delta downs which is over close to the texas border lake charles and then we have louisiana down to shreveport so we run horses at all those tracks now as far as finding a horse i i'm friends with some breeders and uh, like one of my friends he has 200 brood mares so he has 200 yearlings every year that uh I could go to his pastures and check them out and uh, look for yearlings. That's what I do. I always buy yearlings. And, you know, there's people, we have a breeders association um, incentive program. The breeders will make 25% off of the winnings of any horse that they've bred in Louisiana. So a Louisiana bred thoroughbred that wins in Louisiana is eligible to receive 25%. So there's a lot of breeders in the area and 
like I said, I have that one friend who has those brood mares, but there's locally, there's probably maybe 10 of those type of farms around. He's the largest one. The other ones probably have maybe a hundred or 150 brood mares each. So we have a lot of horses to choose from um, okay. that we can go to their farms and look at them. We also like this year, I bought two at a uh, yearling sale that was at, um, Copper Farms, which is kind of close to Lafayette, kind of close to Louis, uh, to Evangeline Downs. Um, the year before, I bought privately from uh, from the farmers. So it it just depends on the breeders. So it just depends on the price, what kind of horse I'm looking for. I was looking for a specific foal, um, a yearling that was by this one particular stud because he's been performing well in Louisiana, and. Okay. Uh, if the prices weren't bad, I was going to, I went to the auction to see if, how the prices went and uh, I ended up getting two, you know, from over there. Okay. Once we do that, we'll bring those horses, uh, you know, right before they're two years old, we start putting saddles on them and things. And some of those horses uh, won't make it ever make it to the track. You know, some of them will. Okay. And these are thoroughbreds, correct? They're all thoroughbreds that I have now. I started off in the quarter horse racing business. That's what got where I got my start from. But I transitioned into thoroughbreds. Oh, okay. Interesting. Quarter horse racing, huh? That's yes, a whole... we did. Yeah, you know, the, the biggest purses are the quarter horse purses. But oh, the I didn't thing know is, that. Oh, yeah. They have the, the, I think the biggest purse in the United States is the All-American Fraternity, which is in New Mexico. And I want to say the winners like guaranteed three million dollars. You know where the Kentucky Derby, they may run for three million, but they split the purse. You know, so um, oh, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure that the All American Fraternity is the is the uh, biggest horse race. You know, big has the biggest purse in the United States. And okay. but the, but the difference is, I'll tell you, the, the difference between the thoroughbred and quarter horses is. Quarter horses make all their money as a two-year-old. They're big. All their races are all the big races. Like they may have in Louisiana, we may have two or three races in the state that are have a million-dollar purse for quarter horses. We don't have any for thoroughbreds with that kind of purse. But those are all two-year-old fraternities. And oh, okay. uh, for thoroughbreds, you can run those thoroughbreds until they're ten years old. You know and uh, you have a, it's, it's so much harder. I mean, you hit the lot you can hit the lottery with the quarter horse, but the thoroughbreds, you have a much better chance of making money. Okay. Gotcha. Understood. The, um, so the year, this is uh thoroughbred racing harness racing is when they're pulling the, the cart or the sulky. That's not the type of racing you're doing. Correct. Yeah, that's not the type of racing I'm doing. We're doing just general, the, the, the ones that you see, like at the Kentucky Derby, those are the sure. thoroughbred horses. Yeah. Okay. And so then you you have your, your stable of horses. Do they stay at the track and then you have a trainer work with them or do they only go to the track when it's time for the races? How does that work? It, most of the horses stay at our community. We have a, we have a, uh, it's kind of like a condo fee. Everybody has to pay a certain amount per month or you rent a stall, but we have our own track that's in Folsom. And uh, yeah. it's probably got, I would say maybe 20 or 30 horse barns around that track. So you've got hundreds of horses there and that's where we keep our horses in, in one of the barns there. And then 
I have horses that maybe are not in training right now that are we keep in a pasture. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah. Tell tell they're uh, ready for their turn, huh? Right. Well, this like a horse I just put in a pasture. Uh, she was feeling bad, and she had, and so we decided. You know, she's she's always had like a. Uh, she doesn't when she runs. You can tell that she just doesn't feel right. So we decided to turn her out in the pasture for maybe six months and uh, give her a break and see if she's, you know, if. If she ever does yeah. start doing better, we'll bring her back into training. But we'll actually start putting a Western saddle on her and riding her as a trail horse. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you, like, when the um, when the horses, you know, the ones that not all of them are going to make it, that type of thing, where do they, what type of uh, work or what type of horses do they end up being? Are they pleasure horses? Or what do thoroughbreds, what do people like thoroughbreds for if well, they're not going to be racehorses? I've sold uh, two of them this year that didn't make it as uh, race horses. I had one that ran probably seven races, and she and she ran second one time. Every other time, she ran fourth and fifth, sixth, you know. And um, right close to where our barn is, they have a uh, a really big dressage facility. Oh, okay. And one of the uh, and they come and look at our horses all the time, you know. And so one of those uh, people came over and said, "Hey, look, you know, would you be interested in selling this horse? Because she was a great filly, three years old. You know, she's really pretty." And uh, I said, "Yeah, I'd be willing to sell her." So um, I sold her and then to to be a dressage horse. And then I had another horse that uh, was a really good riding horse and didn't really perform that well. She was a little bit on the short side, you know, and I had a guy, um, he was a, he was an Argentine that plays polo in our area. You know, they have polo field too. And so he offered to buy her. Uh, so one of them went be, for an example, you know, they, they do all sorts of different things, but for example, one of them became a dressage horse. Another one became a polo pony. Oh, okay. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I, as a horse trainer, again, I teach horses, uh, ex- exhibited horses where we would do shows and, um, such. And I, I'm not been a huge fan of thoroughbreds, but a lot of times it's because there are thoroughbreds who didn't get necessarily a foundation training. And, um, so they're big horses, they're a little older and they're, you know, they're a handful and I'm, I'm always about being safe. So I worked a few couple last year. I was at a stable actually working a gypsy vanner and a couple gals out there with their OTTDB off the track mm-hmm. thoroughbreds. And um, I usually get a little nervous about that for them. And so I took the horse. They were lunging in that. I was really impressed. I just told somebody the other day, I have to, I have to uh, change my feeling about thoroughbreds. They were both, um, really nice horses and just kind of looking at me like, you know, when I, I gave, I was very clear about how I, you know, with animals, I've provided very clear direction and tone of voice and such. So they, they come along really quickly as I'm sure you understand uh, being a horse guy. And um, I was having so much fun with them. And they, then they were like, okay, what well, what are we going to do next? You know, looking at me with that connecting with their brain and kind of an inquisitive, like, this is interesting, you know, instead of like trying to take advantage of me or how could they get away from me or yank me around. So 
it was, it was a lot of fun. I just, again, have an, it's not a horse breed that I've spent a lot of time with. Um, but I know they're very athletic and, um, they're bred, you know, usually bred pretty nicely, have nice minds and physiques and athleticism and such. So interesting. I, I look forward in the future to, to doing a little bit more of that. Cause I, I had some fun with it. <laughs> yeah, I'll say this. The the thing that, you know, we all have to remember is not to pigeonhole the breed. You know, every horse is different. I've got yeah. um I've got thoroughbreds in my barn that um I have one, for example. He's small, he's real fast, he does real good. And um I would put my grandchildren on him, you know. I mean, he's so nice of a horse and uh he's so pleasant to be around. And you know it's really funny is we'll have trainers and jockeys come by the barn and they'll come by and ask if they could take him out for a ride as a, you know, sometimes with young horses, you pony them. So, you you know, you'll, sure. you'll be riding and you're pulling another horse behind you. Right. They'll come yeah. over and ask me if they can take my thoroughbred. We usually use quarter horses or pen horses or old horses to be the pony or something that's kind of like bomb proof you call it. Right. Oh this yeah. Is a, this is a four-year-old thoroughbred that's in horse racing training and they'll come over and say, would you mind if we, if I use your horse to pony somebody else's horse? You know? <laughs> because yeah. Everybody, yeah, everybody loves that little horse, you know? Agreed uh, for sure. So there's a book called Horse Sense, um, a beginner's guide to mastering the art of horse ownership. Is that? Yep, that's, uh, one, that's a book I wrote too, as well. Yeah. I, I, I was intrigued by that because I really think we live in a time when we're we're more removed from animals. We're uh, over the ninety percentile of urbanites to folks who are ag or rural minded or live on property with animals. So we have a very emotional um, feeling about animals. We tend to think of love and cookies as a training method and um, not practicality, reality, best practices you know, science, data, those types of things. So there's, there's a, a need for this kind of thing. And I'd be curious, like what kind of advice in the book are you offering to people to help them understand that they really have to um, set the tone for the, for the training of their horse, if they're going to have a nice, well-adjusted animal and a safe, a safe place to work and for both the animal and the person. Exactly. Uh, mostly what I tell you, what, what I'm going to, what I covered a lot in the book was basics about um, what kind of property you need for a horse, you know, okay. how to like uh, developing a paddock in a, uh, in a barn, you know, the, the bedding that you used in a stall, how big a stall should be, um, your daily activity you should do, how much time you should spend with the horse, you know, um, yeah. when you, when you work with the horse's feet, um, you know, how important it is to work with the horse's feet, um, you know, so that I've given a whole bunch of things that, uh, I'm trying to cover most of the basics for someone who's, um, maybe a first time horse owner and not as much into the training techniques, you know, the training, yeah. te the training techniques, it's, it's difficult, you know, because you have different people and you have in horses or individuals. And I try and point that out a lot that something that works for one horse might not work for another horse. You know, you've got to look at their personalities. You've got, but in the book, I give advice 
for example, watching watching a horse, how to approach a horse, right? If yeah. you see the horse, if you see a horse pin its ears back, what does that mean, right? Um, yeah. uh, you know, basics like you know herd dynamics. You know, you don't want to have a horse push you around, right? Once a horse thinks that they're the boss, uh, you know, they, <laughs> yes. they if, you know, one thing is if a horse makes you move his feet, then he's he's a dominant of the two of you, right? So you yes. want to always maintain that you're the dominant one of the two and you make him move his feet. We do that all the time. You know, if a horse starts to come, you know, you try and push their head so that they, their feet will move, you know, so that they understand that you're going to maintain the, you're going to maintain the dominant role. Um, but it's, a, it's mostly about problem solving for first time horse owners. What, what is it designed to do? What's horse racing sense? Who is your audience and what is it designed or what's your goal with it? Well, my, my original goal was to, to inform people about the horse racing industry, especially people who were, um, who were interested in getting involved and had a lot of questions because I get, I bring new friends all the time with me to, uh, to, to horse races down in New Orleans. And you wouldn't believe the amount of questions I get that I think are, everybody knows like what's a claiming race or what is a maiden, you know, you, you you know, when right. you grow up with this or you've been doing it for so long, you think that uh, that everybody knows it. And then I started thinking, heck, I could do a website and answer a lot of those questions. Um, but as time went on, I started uh, branching out into general horse questions because, you know, I didn't start in the horse racing business. I started in the horse business to begin with, with quarter horses. And uh, so I started writing about that. And then I went to uh, writing about training and uh, different breeds, uh, you know, answering general questions, of, you know, what is a roan horse, you know, or uh, how can you tell the difference between a roan and a gray horse? Uh, uh-huh. Answering a lot of basic questions about horses. Okay, good. And again, I, I think that's important. If I were sitting beside you at a race, I'd probably drive you crazy because I don't know. <laughs> anything about racing i'm talking with miles henry racehorse owner and so miles um some of the things i would probably ask and uh i think pe- this is kind of a hot topic what what do you do um we talked a little bit about this but if a horse you get you train them and you work with them and spend the time but they're just not going to make it and uh what what are they likely going to do from there? What's going to happen with those horses that don't cut the mustard? Because the odds are, I would think that you're going to start with quite a few to find that uh, pearl in the oyster. That's going to be your, you know, handful of ones that are really have the talent or the speed. What happens to the others? Okay. You're right. I can tell you, um, for example, I know that that small horse I was telling you about, that's going to be that people like to ride as a pony horse. Yeah. Okay. For if, if that horse doesn't make it, I, I would have a lot of people wanting that horse, you know, to use as a trail horse or to maybe even try and train it as a barrel horse because he's got a lot of early speed. So, okay. so he could be trained as a barrel horse, but and like I said, being that I live in a horse community, pretty much, you know, everybody around here, around me, uh, has horses. Um, my son-in-law, you know, my, we have, uh, he's got two kids that, and they've got a pasture of about 
seven or eight horses right now, they would love to have that horse. So for that horse to have a home right away with somebody okay. else in my family, you know, and they could, I'll tell you what, we have cattle or they have cattle, you know, so they would uh, actually work cattle and train it to work cattle and their things like that. I have a, um, I have another horse that's a big gelding that I would have a little bit harder time figuring out exactly how he would fit in because he's so big that uh, he wouldn't be able to uh, to be trained in any type of Western, uh, you know, yeah. equestrian events, but he could possibly turn into like a jumping horse, a show jumping horse. He's to me, I think he'd be too big for polo because uh, yeah. he's, he's right at 17 hands. It would be a, it's a oh, long reach boy. down. Yeah. It'd be a long reach down for him to, or a polo pony. Um, yeah. I, I don't know exactly, you know, what he would be retrained as, but I would think it would be something more in the English uh, dressage or show jumping probably. Right. Yeah, because uh, those warm bloods and those horses they're using are, uh, so they have a lot of pretty good sized horses in that world for sure. Right. So, I'll tell yeah. you what, I have, a, I have a gray mare right now that uh, I'm going to, uh, be selling and i have two people have already contacted me to they're both interested in her to use her as a broodmare she she only ran a few times i'm trying to think how many times but anyway she she earned forty seven thousand in a few races she didn't run that much all of her times were really good and she was a sprinter so okay. both of these, so both of these guys, what they want to do is they uh, they want to buy her from me, and what they want to do is breed her to a, a quarter horse stallion and have appendix baby. So the AQHA accepts as a registered quarter horse appendix bred, you know, half thoroughbred and half quarter horse. Okay. And if so, they want to raise a foal to race a quarter horse foal to race. So um, okay. these these two guys have been watching my mayor waiting for me to make a decision on whether or not to sell her, you know? So, and that's what they're, that would be the plan for her to okay. turn around the pasture and use her as a brood mare. Yeah. All right. So, you know, there are certainly critics of horse racing. There are critics, you know, with the animal rights committee, there's critic, there are critics in every facet of animal related businesses, people, you know, my podcast is telling the stories of people kind of peel, uh, you know, pulling back the curtain on those of us who work in the animal industry because you are the, the message and the information that gets out is from the animal rights community. And it's um, at, at best misleading and at worst it's actual lies and mistruths that are designed to, to, you know, cast a, a really bad light on animal people. For example, I grew up around elephants, performing elephants and wow. horses and camels and llamas and zebra, those type of animals, and know firsthand how amazing it was to be around them and to share them with others and such. And we live in a world now where, you know, it's it, everything's looked upon negatively. We're getting to the point that even owning a, a pet, you know, a dog is going to be uh, taboo. But so there are specific critics of the horse racing industry. So I'd like you to be, like, what would you, the folks who listen to my podcast are not the animal people. We're not, hopefully not preaching to the choir. We're trying to maybe, maybe provide some information for those folks who are on the fence, who have heard the negatives about things 
and not enough of the other side hashtag. There's more to the story. So maybe help us to to inform my even myself. What what are the um, erroneous parts of the information, and what is what are the parts about the industry you'd want people to know? I'll tell you this: the thing I think that people don't know maybe about the horse racing industry, and, and I, from my personal perspective, is and I've been around it for a long time. Um, I came think probably thirty years or more and just in the horse racing business. And I've never seen some of the stuff that I've read about in the newspapers or seen on videos. I can't say this about horse owners, but I'll say this about horse people. And by people, I mean the grooms and the trainers. I've never seen people such so dedicated to animal welfare almost. the Like for example, my trainer, he's, of course he's married, he's got kids, he's got one child, he's got two children, one child that loves the horses and the other one is his daughter, she can take it or leave it. (laughs) But between him and his wife and his son, they spend hours a day at, at the barn with the horses and you would not believe just how much they love the horses. They make sure they feed them three times a day. So they get three meals a day. They take each of the horses out, hand graze them in the grass on a lead rope. They uh, saddle them up and ride them. You know, uh, they make sure that they get enough time out of the stall. Um, they've got, you know, their, their pet names for each one of them. And, uh, you know, the things that they can do with the horses, you know, like the horses are part of their family. But yeah. believe it or not, that's not unique. It, the thing is, is most trainers and most people are, that are dealing with horses is because it's what they love to do. It's not because it's something they have to do. You know, they they got into the, the horse racing industry not because they expected to become millionaires or make a lot of money doing it. It's because this is a life they chose because it's, it's the, their passion and their love. Now, I have seen jockeys before um, get rough with horses. I'm not on not on the track, but training. You know, exercise jockeys is what we call them. You know, where the horse starts bucking and they whip a little bit more than I would like. You know, to try and get the horses to straighten up while they're running or whatever. But uh, that's very unusual. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to I'm trying to think of things over the years that I could point to that I've seen that uh, I didn't like, and it's it's. Over the years, I mean, that would be one thing. And uh, But besides that, most of these horses get the best care. Uh, you know, their feet are looked at every single day. They get dentist work. You know, we have an equine dentist that comes over and checks their teeth. You know, as soon as you start to see them feel bad, you know, uh, their head drops. The, the vet's called right away to make sure that they're not sick. Or if they are sick, what can we do to, you know, to ensure that they get back and have their health back. So yeah. um, I don't think a lot of people probably realize that that would, that there's a lot of love for the animals in the horse racing industry. Yeah. And yeah, I think you touched on something I talk about in, in various industries and even the, I did a rod race, even uh, the, the sled dogs and such, but that there, the animals in these situations are given you know, veterinary medical care, they're, they're uh, guaranteed, you know, safe place to, to stay, their bedding, their, their housing, their stables, their transport, the food quality, all of that. I mean, we don't even have that in place for the people in our world, let alone, <laughs> you know, 
I've, I've said for years when I started the podcast, growing up in a family with exhibited animals, there were more, because we're regulated by the USDA and virtually every, every municipality and state at this point, um, there were more regulations of the place for the children in our care than there were for the, or for the animals in our care. Right. Then there were for the children. If my kids went to school and didn't say that anybody bothered them or hurt them, nobody asked where they were sleeping or what they were eating or, you know, those types of things. So, and I, I'm certainly, I always say as well, it's absolutely fine to be concerned about the welfare of the animals. They can't speak for themselves, but we're, everybody's just painted with one big broad brush and you'll see the worst of the industry or some, you know, they love to highlight when something in the animal world, somebody's done something egregious that I don't care what they tell you, they're all doing it, right? Yeah. So I like to have people like yourself on my podcast, people from the different animal worlds to whether zoological, exhibited, Iditarod, rodeo, whatever it is. And you don't have to like it. I may never be a horse racing enthusiast. I may or may not, but it doesn't mean I'm going to outlaw it or because I don't want to go or those things. And that's the world we live in is if we don't like something, we immediately, especially animal related, we're, we're got rid of pet stores, you know, in many states in the United States because we need to go to shelters. There's so much more to that story. It's such a, it's an actual lie that, you know, we're overrun in our shelters. We have a deficit at the moment of adoptable animals. So I, I just wanted to help people understand a bit more through your interview about the horse racing industry. So with that in mind, is there anything else you'd like to leave people with as we wrap up um, no, about uh, horse racing? I'll tell you this. So I was thinking when you were exhibiting animals, I bet you've seen a lot of the same thing that I'm talking about, though, right? The people who work with animals, how much they love the, the animals that they work with, right? It's in Absolutely. their blood. You know? Yeah, and it's and not a some... lucrative world, and no. they're doing it because they they feel privileged. I mean, I know myself, I feel um, privileged to say that I've gotten to work, love, care for, and work with animals in my life, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know what we have, like, with our horses, we had a cold spell. Uh, we had a cold spell that hit us for the last week or two. You know, we had a break in between. But uh, we had people going to our barn, and you know what they were doing? They were uh, They were cooking oats for the horses. So they cooked warm oats for the horses to eat, you know? So, um, they did that, I think twice a day, they would go out there, you know, with the warming wands and boil the oats and then to to give them a warm meal, you know, to hopefully make them feel a little bit better. People can get a lot more information on your website, uh, horse racing sense. It it really is a walkthrough for the novice and, uh, provides more information. So good luck to you. And okay. yeah, during this crazy winter, um, yeah. <laughs> stay warm and those horses will enjoy those nice oats. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. Well, as you know, I always say, go see for yourself. If you're interested in horse racing, go check out some races. And um, when you have the opportunity, maybe head out to the stables, talk with some of the trainers, watch interviews online. And uh, you want to see people who really, really care for horses and are dedicated, the the amazing grooms who take care of the horses in the racehorse stables. Just wonderful people who love, care for, and work with horses. 
So before you judge an entire industry or paint them with one big stroke, maybe check in and see that there's a lot more to the story. Well, I hope you'll subscribe. It's a new year and I do hope you'll subscribe to my podcast, rate and review it. And by all means, share it. That's the best way to get the information to your friends and folks who might be interested in animals. And I certainly hope you'll join me next time for more Animal Tales.